Well, Woodlands Church, we just kicked off our summer series that I'm calling Wipeout, and I just find the reality game show Wipeout hilarious. I mean, there's something about people making a fool of themselves that makes us laugh. I mean, it's just normal people. They're not super athletic. They're not professional athletes, but they're normal people giving it everything they've got, trying to make it through an obstacle course, and then boom, something comes out of nowhere and just clobbers them and knocks them awkwardly into the water below. But the, the one I like best is when they're on a platform and they've got to jump to another platform, but it's moving, and so you need to see them getting up all their courage and they're gonna do it, they're gonna time it just right. They're thinking about it, they're thinking about it, and they jump, and they miss it by a mile and fall headfirst into the water. But you know what I've noticed about Wipeout? The people that win at Wipeout are people who don't care how foolish they look. They don't care that we're laughing at them. They don't care at all that they look foolish because they don't take themselves very seriously, but they take the game seriously. They're out to win, giving it everything they've got, and if they fall, if they look awkward, they don't care, they just get back up and they just keep going because they wanna win. And if you're gonna win at life and follow God's path to fulfillment for your life, there will be times when God asks you to do something that seems foolish, something that doesn't really make total sense at the time. Something unexpected, something inconvenient, something that doesn't fit perfectly into your little plan. Somebody said, if you wanna make God laugh, tell him your plans, and it's so true. I do think that God gets a laugh when he sees me putting together my perfect little plan that's so convenient, so safe, so comfortable, and I put together this little plan that that takes all the worry out of the outcomes, that tries to control every little thing. I put together this little plan. God must smile because he knows he's getting ready to put a wrench into my little plan and blow it up to push me out of my comfort zone and into his great and good and perfect plan for my life. You see, we make our little plans that are so safe and convenient, so comfortable, but that's not living. And God wants us to experience his fulfillment. And so he'll do whatever he can to shove us out of our plan into his purpose for our lives. We're always trying to put God in a box of our own human thinking. We're always trying to make everything controllable. And so we try to control God, put him in a little box. But God cannot be contained. He cannot be controlled for God is God. He does what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants, and he knows what's best for us. You see, whenever God asks you to do something that's unexpected, that doesn't make total sense at the time, that may even seem foolish, it's because God knows what's best for us, and we don't know what's best for us. You see, God is already in the future, and he knows how important it is for us to make that decision in this moment that may seem foolish, but it's so important to our future because he's already in the future and he knows the future. He's not limited by time or space. He's in the past, present, and future all at the same time. And so God knows the ramifications of that decision and it may not make sense to us at the time, but God knows what's best for us. And so today, 
we're going to look at a famous war hero, Naaman, in the Old Testament, and how Naaman turned to God for a miracle, but he wanted the miracle on his own terms. For you see, God asked Naaman to do something that Naaman thought was foolish and inconvenient, but God did it to wipe out all of Naaman's ego so that Naaman could experience a real miracle. And every one of us struggle with ego in our flesh. We all struggle with pride and ego and trying to control the situation, and really that's just trying to play God. We don't think God is doing his job the way he should, that we could do his job better than he does, and so we try to control the outcomes. Ego stands for edging God out. And that's really what it is. We want to edge God out. We want to sit on the throne of our lives and be the king, call the shots. We want to do God's job for him because we think we can do it better. Ego is edging God out, and every one of us in our flesh struggle with ego and pride and trying to control, trying to do God's job, and we miss out on resting in his grace, in his refreshing, fulfilling, amazing grace that we can live in and breathe in and enjoy. Well, I I want us to look at this story in the Old Testament. So open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. For you see, Naaman wanted God to do a miracle in his life. Naaman had his own little plan, though, for how God was going to do that miracle. But God took Naaman's little plan and turned it on its head and wiped out all of his ego so that he could experience a miracle that brought total joy to his life. So would you stand in honor of God's word and just follow along with me. The passage is a longer passage today, but what an amazing miracle of God. And so many times God has to wipe out something in our lives so that he can replace it with something that fits into his amazing plan that brings about total fulfillment. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Arbana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters in Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Dear God, we know that you are the one true God. 
and that you know what's best for us. But so many times I try to do your job. I make my own little plan and try to control all the outcomes and, and I don't let you be God. But Lord, today I pray that every one of us would just let you be God in our lives. That we would just learn to surrender it all to you so that we could experience all of your power and purpose and grace in our lives. And I know some have come into this place or one of our satellites or watching online just weighed down with worries because they're trying to control something they were never meant to control. And today, Lord, you're telling them in their heart that you're big enough to handle it. And all they have to do is trust you. But Lord, we try to do it our own way so many times. We want you to work in our lives, but we want you to work the way we want you to work. And Lord, that's just not the best. And so today, we just surrender to you. We say yes in advance to whatever you ask us to do because we know that you know what's best for us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Naaman was the commander of the army of Aram, which is modern-day Syria. And it was the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at the time. And Naaman was their great commander. He had won amazing battles for his nation. And so he was a war hero. He was famous in all the land. Everyone knew him. Everyone knew who he was. And he was revered by the people of Aram. They loved and respected him because he was a man of integrity. He was a good man. He was a man of valor. But the Bible tells us one more thing about Naaman. He had leprosy, the most dreaded disease of that day. It was a death sentence. Leprosy was not only incurable, it was a very painful, slow death. Your flesh would literally rot while you were still alive. At first, your fingers and your toes would rot and fall off. Then limbs would fall off. It was terribly disfiguring. And the Bible says, even though Naaman did all these great things, he was well-respected, a man of integrity, a man of bravery and courage. He had this terribly disfiguring disease of leprosy. And leprosy is really a symbol of our condition spiritually. We may not have leprosy on the outside, but on the inside we have this soul rotting disease, this soul disfiguring disease that rots away the inside of our lives and it's called sin and there's only one cure, a savior. No self-help book, no plan that you can put your life on can heal you of that disease. Only a savior. See, on the outside, Naaman had leprosy. Even though he was wealthy, he was well-respected, he was loved, he was famous. But he had leprosy, and when everyone saw him, instead of thinking about Naaman, this great war hero, all they could see was how he was disfigured from leprosy. And see, on the outside, you may look great, you may be well-respected. You may be wealthy. You may do a lot of great things in the community. You may do so many good things that everybody thinks well of you. But on the inside, you have the soul-rotting disease of sin. 
And there's only one cure for everyone, and that's the Savior. He's the only one that can heal us of the disease of sin and ego and selfishness and pride. And Naaman had built this wall of denial around him because everything was going so great in his life. And because in his ego, he felt like he was accomplishing so much and that he was a really good guy and he was doing, doing so many great things for his country that he'd built this wall of denial around him and he didn't think he needed God very much. He had edged God out and things were going really well for him. But when he got leprosy, it not only ate through his flesh, it started eating through his wall of denial and ego and pride until it got to the place where he was desperate. How do I know he was desperate? He went to a little servant girl for advice. This servant girl that was serving in his home came from Israel and she said, hey, there's a prophet and he's in Israel and his name is Elisha and he serves the one true God and the one true God can heal you of leprosy. I know it's true. The one true God can heal. You need to go to him. And because he's so desperate, he follows this insignificant little girl's advice. He's desperate. And sometimes God will allow you to get into a desperate situation just so you can realize the truth of the fact that you're desperate, desperately dependent upon God at all times. We just don't know it a lot of times. Sometimes God will allow me to get into a desperate situation where I realize it and I feel desperate, where the pain starts eating away at my wall of denial and ego, and I realize I can't handle the situation. I can't fix this one. I can't solve this one. I can't get through this problem. I can't fix that relationship. And I get to the place where I'm, I realize I'm desperately dependent upon God. And I'm desperate. And I need God. But here's the truth. The reality is you're desperate for God for your very next breath. You're desperately dependent upon God for your next heartbeat. We just don't realize it a lot of times. When things are going good, and we're edging God out, we just don't realize how desperately dependent we really are on God all the time, every moment. But sometimes God will allow us to get into those situations where we feel it, just so that we know the truth that we're desperately dependent upon God for our very next breath all the time, good times, bad times, tough times, great times. We're totally dependent upon God all the time. But he got desperate, and he realized his desperation, and he listens to this little servant girl. And so he goes to the prophet Elisha's house. And it says in verse 9, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Focus on that phrase, stopped at the door, because this is so revealing. Naaman comes all the way from Syria with this great entourage of camels and horses and silver and gold and all of his servants and all of his attendants. And he comes all the way from Syria to the prophet Elisha's humble house and he stops at the door. I found that so revealing because some people come all the way to the door of salvation and they stop at the door. 
and they never take that step of faith to go over the threshold to experience God's salvation, forgiveness, his fulfillment and purpose for their life. They stop at the door. Now, Naaman stopped at the door because he wanted God to meet him on his terms. That's what he was used to, everybody kind of doing what he wanted. He wanted God to meet him on his terms. He, he was thinking that Elisha would look out the window and see, it's Naaman and his huge entourage. I can't believe it. You know, Naaman, the famous general, unbelievable. And then Elisha, the prophet, would run out of his house and say, oh, I cannot believe, Naaman, that you're here. I am so honored I'm not worthy for you to even come into my house. I'm coming out to meet you because you're amazing. I've never had anyone famous that I could pray for before. I can't believe you thought of me. And could I get an autograph before I pray for you? I'm so excited. This is amazing. I can't believe it. I don't even know what to say. I know I'm making a fool of myself, but you're Naaman. That's kind of the way Naaman thought it was going to happen, that Elisha was going to come out and meet him on his terms, that God was gonna meet him on his terms. And so many people come right to the door of salvation. They get right to the door and they expect God to meet them on their terms. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, maybe that's okay for everyone else, but yeah, I want God in my life. I wanna follow God, but you wanna do it your way. And God says, I don't do it that way. Elisha was having none of it. And God, he won't meet you on your terms. God is God. And he knows what's best for you. And we have to take that step of faith to receive him. And everyone is the same at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And some of you are wanting VIP salvation. You want customization salvation. You come right to the door, but it's like, yeah, maybe that's what everyone else has to do. But for me, you know, I mean, I don't have to do it that way, do I? There's only one way. You humble yourself and receive the free gift of God's salvation. You humble yourself and admit that you're a sinner and you have this soulless figuring disease of sin like everyone else. The ground is level at the foot of the cross and salvation is available to all who will humble themselves and receive God's gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. There's a, a church in Bethlehem that I've been to many times that's built over the place where tradition says Christ was born. And what I love about the, the church is not how ornate it is on the inside and all, and who knows if Christ was born right there in that location or not, but I love that the door, the only door to get into the church is really low, and you have to kneel down. Everyone coming in, except for little children, have to kneel down to get through there, and that's on purpose. What a powerful symbol to come to Christ. You have to humble yourself and admit that you need him and his forgiveness and his grace. There's only one way. There's no VIP salvation. There's no customization salvation. There's only one way. Everyone has to come to the cross in the same way, admitting they have this soul-rotting disease of sin that only the Savior can cure. And maybe you're CEO of a big company. Maybe you're really wealthy. Maybe you have millions of followers on social media and you influence a lot of people. Doesn't matter. There's only one way. 
and that's to humble yourself and receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be healed, and that's through the Savior. Well, I love Elisha's response, really God's response through Elisha. It's hilarious. In verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. So Elisha doesn't even go to the door. I love that. He just sends a no-name messenger to the door, and the messenger says, hey, the prophet of God wanted me to tell you that you just need to go dip in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed. I'm out. I mean, that's it. I mean, and Naaman is furious. His ego has been injured. He had a big ego, easily injured. This man who's doing so many good things, who was doing all these unselfish things, doing all these good works, so well-respected. But his ego is out of control because he was trying to control everything. And it doesn't matter how many people know you. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. You see every one of us, from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high, we're all in the same boat. We all have ego. We all try to edge God out. We all try to control things. We all try to play God because we think we know better than God on how to run our lives. And that's what sin is, just edging God out. It says, though, in verse 11, that Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. He said, I came all that way to be treated like that? Does he know who I am? And who does he think he is? I mean, I came all this way, and then he treats me like this. He's upset because he's expecting God to meet him on his terms. Naaman says, I thought it should go this way. And a lot of people want to follow Christ, but they want to follow Christ their way. And you can't do the God thing your way. It's God's way or no way. God is God, you're not. And sometimes people come to Christ and they want to follow him their way. And it's like, okay, I'm reading the Bible and oh, that's so exciting. I'm going to do that. That's great. Ooh, I'm supposed to do this? That's, that's kind of inconvenient. I think, let's look at what else I could do because I don't really want to do that thing. You see, all through God's word, God tells us, take this step of faith, take this step of faith. It's never a huge leap of faith. It's always a step of faith. Take this step of faith, take this step of faith. But when we start going, ooh, I don't like that one. I don't really want to do that one. That's inconvenient. We're trying to do the God thing our way, and it never works. God says, you follow me, you follow me. You don't follow me, and then you follow you, whatever you want, because that means you're in charge. God says, either I'm first place in your life or I'm nothing at all. A lot of people think, though, I think it should go this way. I think it should go that way. I, I kind of just believe this, but I'm not sure about that. And God says, who cares what you think? All that matters is what I know. Obey me because I know what's best for you. For you see, after you receive Christ, the Bible is so clear that once you receive Christ into your life and you humble yourself and receive the free gift of forgiveness, 
you humble yourself at the foot of the cross, then you're to be baptized to show that Christ is in your life. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian, Christ does, but it shows that Christ is in your life, and it's just the next step. We're commanded to be baptized after we receive Christ. That's just what the Bible clearly teaches. And yes, the Bible explains it and tells us why and all these different things, but who cares, even if God didn't tell us why, it's just that's what he commands, and we need to do it. And then some people go, well, that's kind of inconvenient. I'm not sure that I want to do that. You know, maybe I, I think what I'll do is just study the Bible and go to Bible studies. I think what I'll do is just learn to pray more, but baptism, it seems a little bit awkward, getting my hair wet, and it's just kind of inconvenient, and maybe one day I'll do that. But Jesus said, that's the next step. Once you receive Christ, you're to be baptized to show that you love Jesus. In Matthew 28, 18, it says, Jesus said this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Christ commands us. See, most of us want all the benefits of the Christian life without the inconvenience of doing something that feels uncomfortable. But really, the Bible does tell us the purpose of baptism, and it's amazing. It's to publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ, to let everyone know that you're a Christ follower. And it symbolizes that Christ died, was buried, rose again, and he's alive in your life. It symbolizes that Christ has wiped out and washed away your sins and that you love Jesus Christ. It's a profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. And do you realize that there are more people who are being persecuted, killed in prison for being baptized in our world today than at any other time in human history. I think there were over 100,000 Christians killed last year for professing their faith publicly in Jesus Christ. There's so many countries it's against the law to be baptized. But baptism means what it's always meant. Back the early Christians, when they were baptized to show that they loved Jesus Christ, it was a public profession, a public ceremony, a celebration like we have. And they would be baptized, and then the religious leaders, the government officials would be there, and they would go, oh, I wondered about that person, so they're a Christian. They'd mark their names down, and they'd be persecuted, imprisoned, or killed. And so they knew that when they were being baptized, they were going, I love Jesus. I'm not ashamed to say I love Jesus Christ, and he tells me to do this. I'm going to obey him. I'm not going to try to do the God thing my way. I'm going to follow God and do what he says. And I love Jesus Christ. He died, was buried, rose again. He's alive in my life. And I want everyone to know that I'm a Christian. This is my coming out party, and I want everyone to know that I love Jesus Christ, that I'm a follower of Christ. I identify with Christ, even though I know it will mean persecution, imprisonment, or maybe even death. Well, it means the same thing today. It's just in America, we don't, we have uh, freedom of religion. We don't get persecuted for being baptized, but in many countries, it's against the law. So today is our super summer baptism. We started it. You know, last night, amazing. And right after this service, I know hundreds of you are gonna be baptized. And I just wanna say to you, you are standing with brothers and sisters around the world today who are being baptized, a public profession of faith in Christ, and they're gonna be persecuted. And we're not because we live in America, but we're still doing the same thing. We stand with them and we stand with Jesus to say, I'm gonna obey you, and obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings healing. God wipes out our pride, 
to fill us with his healing and purpose and power. I mean, there's something amazing about baptism. You know, most people who come to Woodland Church were sprinkled or baptized as babies, and if that describes you, your parents did a great thing for you. They stood before God and said, we're gonna do everything we can to raise our child to love Jesus. Then you got your head wet and cried, and you don't remember it, so it really wasn't your baptism. It was a commitment on your parents' part, but the Bible says once you grow up, get old enough to make your own personal decision to humble yourself and receive God's forgiveness and grace, then you're to be baptized because that's your baptism. That's your decision now. It's always after in Scripture someone came to Christ. They were to be baptized to show that Christ was in their life. And so if you were one of the many at Woodland Church who were sprinkled or baptized as a baby, I biblically challenge you today to get rebaptized. Obedience brings blessing. You do it God's way, it brings blessing. I have rebaptized thousands of people, and, and so many have said to me, Wow, this is amazing. I didn't expect it to be so powerful. Obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing, and I'm telling you, it's one of those things that it's one of those defining moments. I've had five or six defining moments in my life. Those defining moments that God brings into your life that you can either step forward in faith or step back in fear and let the moment slip. But defining moments magnify decisions. When you're in a defining moment and you take one little step of faith, it doesn't take you ahead one step of faith, it takes you ahead a thousand miles in blessing. But the same thing is true if you step back in fear. It sets you back a thousand miles. You see, God brings defining moments into our lives, and we don't get to choose when they are. All we get to do is choose whether or not to step forward in faith and seize that defining moment or to shrink back in fear and let it slip away forever. And you see, this is a defining moment. For so many of you, it's a defining moment. You're gonna be baptized in just a moment because you're saying, I love Jesus. I want everyone to know and obedience brings blessing. And there's gonna be, I think hundreds of you will be baptized that didn't even know you came today to be baptized. But you're in a defining moment. And you're gonna be baptized today to take that step of faith. And it's gonna take your head a thousand miles. It's gonna change the whole trajectory of your life because obedience brings blessing. And some of you go, well, I've been a believer for 30 or 40 years now. I just haven't been biblically baptized after I received Christ, but you know, I'm, I'm a strong believer and God will bring you back to it because you can't skip a step. When you're growing in the Lord, you can't decide, you know what, I'm not gonna do that thing, but I'll do this thing and this thing. I'll really study the Bible. I love to praise and worship. You know, I'll learn how to pray. I'll do this, I'll do that. God says, no, you, you gotta do it my way because I know what's best for you and I want you to learn to trust me. So Naaman, though, gets really upset. He says, I'm supposed to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Now, see, the Jordan River was just a muddy creek. I've been there many times. Now, we think of the Jordan River as this amazing, holy, and beautiful place because Jesus was baptized there. But I'm telling you, I have baptized many people in the Jordan River. I've been baptized in the Jordan River. I, and I can just tell you, it's just a muddy creek. And not only that. 
See, there's this place in the Jordan River where you can have baptisms, you know, and so I've baptized a lot of people in the Jordan River from our church, and, and you go in, and the water is real murky. It's just a little creek, and then there are little fish that bite you the whole time. Talk about a spiritual experience. I mean, I don't know if those fish are holy or what, or they're eating away the sin, or they're, but it is freaky, Okay. You have to warn everybody coming in, there's going to be some fish that will be nibbling on you the whole time. No big deal. I mean, it's freaky. It's just a muddy creek, and you can't even see the little fish nibbling around on you. We think of the Jordan River as some pristine, amazing, holy water. No, Jesus was baptized in a muddy creek. And so Naaman's like, I'm not going down to that muddy creek. I mean, there's so many rivers in Damascus that are, are beautiful. I can just go there and dip seven times. I'm not going to do that. So Naaman is taking his stand against God, saying, that's foolish. That's inconvenient. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to do that, God. And he takes his stand against God, but to God it's just stand-up comedy because God is just smiling, going, Naaman, don't you get it? You've got to go through the river of humility so I can wipe out all your ego so that you can experience my amazing healing. You've got to go through the river of humility. You've got to go through the muddy river of humility to get to the ocean of blessings. But Naaman's, nope, not doing that one. That doesn't make any sense, Lord. I'm not going to do that. And here's the point of the whole story. Humility and healing go together. God will always bring you into the muddy creek of humility before you experience the ocean of his blessings. You see, we all have that ego and pride where we try to play God, we try to control our situation, we, we try to fix everything on our own, and that's just edging God out, and God has to bring us to that river of humility, and through the river of humility, to get rid of that so that he can bless us beyond measure with his power, his control, and his care. But... Naaman had one thing holding him back, his pride. God knew that Naaman had this one thing, if he could get rid of this one thing, that he could be so blessed and so used of God. And so God said, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get rid of that one thing in Naaman's life, to get rid of pride. And the river of humility was the only way for him to get rid of the one thing that was holding him back. He was trying to do it his own way rather than God's way, and God knew that would never work. In verse 13, though, we see that Naaman has some servants that really do care about him because they tell him the truth. It says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Hey, a real friend will tell you the truth, whether you wanna hear it or not. These are real friends. It'd been so easy to agree with Naaman and say, I can't believe how he treated you. Doesn't he know who you are? Who does he think he is anyway? This is crazy. Let's go back to the rivers of Damascus and just wash in the rivers of Damascus. So much better. I don't know why we came here anyway. I am so sorry that you got treated like this. It's been so easy to agree with them, but they don't because they love him. They care about him. This shows me that he, he was a man who cared about them, and so they care enough to tell him the truth, and so they say, hey, if he would have asked you to do some great and courageous, difficult feat, like climb Mount Everest, you would have done it because you're so courageous and brave. But he asked you to do this simple little inconvenient thing and you don't want to do it. 
must be pride. Sometimes God asks us to do something simple and inconvenient, but we want to do something great for God. It's like, God, you know, I want to see a great miracle in my life. God, I want to see an ocean of miracles. And God says, well, you got to go through the muddy river of humility. The muddy river of humility leads to the great ocean of God's blessing. I want you to look at Mark 8, 38. Jesus said this, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels around him. And so here, Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me on earth and you don't wanna take a stand for me, I'm gonna be ashamed of you in eternity. And baptism is taking a stand to say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus, I want everyone to know. I want everyone to see. He asked me to do this and I'm gonna obey him. I'm not gonna question, I'm just gonna do it. I'm not ashamed of him, I don't want him to be ashamed of me. It's taken a stand. Now, because we're getting ready to do the big super summer baptism, I wanna kinda take you through how it's gonna go. At the end of the service, all those of you being baptized, I'm gonna send you out to the dressing rooms. And by the way, if you forgot clothes, we've got shorts, dark shorts of every size, and we've got shirts of every size. We've got baptism clothes, we've got towels, we've got everything that you need to get ready, and then you'll come out, and we have a celebration cake and punch and, and ice cream. It's gonna be awesome. And then, and then I'll be out there um, and we'll help you into the baptism waters. And once you get into the waters, we'll say a few things about baptism, your profession of faith, and I'll just put your hands together and ask you if you wanna hold your nose. A lot of people do. And if you wanna hold your nose, then I raise your hands up to your nose, you hold your nose, and I lower you under the water and then right back up and it symbolizes that Christ died, was buried, rose again, and he's alive in your life. There's something miraculously healing about going through the river of humility. You come out in an ocean of blessings, a thousand miles ahead with God's grace and God's power. Obedience brings blessing. I want you to look, though, at what happens to Naaman when he obeys. In 2 Kings 5, 14, it says, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. He experienced complete and powerful healing. And he goes back and he tells the man of God, now I know there's only one God, the one true God. And he demands that it be done his way. And from now on, I'm gonna do it his way, not my way. You know, in Acts 2, 38, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and he says this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It's so powerful. He's saying, humble yourself and receive Christ and his grace and forgiveness and be baptized. Show everyone that you love Jesus Christ, that your sins have been washed away, that you love Jesus. You're not ashamed of him. You don't want him to be ashamed of you. And the amazing thing is, 3,000 received Christ and were baptized that very day. They came that day in the big courtyard in Jerusalem not thinking today's my baptism day. No, they had no clue. But that day they responded, and that's the way it was all through Scripture. 
people would come to Christ and get baptized that day, instantly obey. And God says, once you receive Christ, you're to obey and be baptized. And today is your day. And I'm telling you, so many of you came today, you weren't expecting to be baptized, but this is your day. God says, this is your day. You follow me. And I'm telling you, we've got the clothes, we've got everything you need. It's instant baptism day at Woodlands Church. It's gonna be a day you're gonna always remember and look back on. That was the day that I said, okay, God, I give up. I'm not gonna do the God thing my way anymore. Doesn't work. I'm gonna just do what you want. I'm just gonna do what you want. Did you know that this last week, I just got back from high school camp. Chris and I went to high school camp in Pensacola Beach, and we had 247 high school students receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they were baptized in the ocean right then and there. I mean, it was unbelievable. This generation is gonna change the world. You know why? Because they just don't know any better than to obey God. They don't make it complicated. They don't think, well, I don't know. if That's not very convenient. I've got other plans. Ooh, get my hair wet. I wasn't planning on this today. No. They just don't know any better than to obey God and take him at his word. And when you start obeying God, taking him at his word, and believing what he says, and obeying, obeying, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. He's saying that the way you know your love for me is by your obedience. The way you know is by your obedience. Isn't that interesting? It's not by how loud you sing. It's not by how much Bible study you do. It's not by how much you tell others. It's about obedience. That shows your love for Jesus. These kids just obey. Just watch this. And I mean, words came to describe, you know, how God moved. This generation is going to change the world. A lot of people look down on this generation. Oh, what's the world coming to? This generation coming up. And I'm telling you, they're going to change the world through Jesus Christ. And I'm just so proud of them. I want you to hear this next story from a great couple in our church. Brock and Elizabeth went through one of the most painful tragedies that any parents could go through in losing their little baby. And somehow through all of it, they look to the Lord Jesus and he continues to meet their needs. And I want them to share with you their baptism experience and how God used it in their life so powerfully in healing. Just watch. You can be seated. I love seeing these baptisms because it's the greatest thing we do at Wilderness Church because it symbolizes what Christ has done. Life change. It's amazing the miracles that God can do. And the greatest miracle is the change of life. And it just takes that one little step of obedience. And I know with all my heart, we're in a defining moment. And you never get to choose when a defining moment comes into your life. God does that. But you do get to choose whether you step forward in faith or you shrink back in fear and let it slip. And defining moments are always unexpected and inconvenient. I look back on my life and I think of five or six defining moments that if... I wouldn't have stepped forward in faith. I wouldn't be where I am right now. I look back on this church and I think about those defining moments where we chose to step forward in faith and God took us a thousand miles ahead 
You're in a defining moment. It's always unexpected. It's always inconvenient. And some of you, a lot of you weren't planning on being baptized today, but this is your baptism day. God picked it. God chose it. You don't get to choose it. All you have to do is just step into it. And it's inconvenient. You have other plans. It's, I mean, I don't know, maybe some other time, maybe next week, maybe maybe in a few months here. Get the whole family down or do something. You'll think of a million good excuses, but there's not one that will be better than God's plan right now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Satan's favorite word's tomorrow. You can do it tomorrow. That's what he told the people of Israel. They got to their destiny, the promised land, and they sent 12 spies in, and they all came back and said, man, this is a land of milk and honey. It's a land of plenty. It's amazing. It's beautiful, unbelievable. But 10 of them said, but they're giants in the land. These Anakites, they're giant warriors, and we can't take them. I mean, this is not a good time. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, let's take a step of faith, and God will do it. God's bigger than these giants. But they got outvoted 10 to 2. And the 10 said, you know what? Maybe in six months we'll be ready. I think we'll be ready then. But we'll really get ready to fight these giants. And, or maybe in a year's time. It could even be three months. It could be less. But yeah, yeah, we'll do it when, when the time is right for us. And you don't get to choose that in a defining moment. They were at a defining moment. And they let it slip. And they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. Defining moments magnify decisions. And the only two that survived the desert from that whole group was Joshua and Caleb. For you see, when you're in a defining moment, it's because God loves you so much and he knows what's best for you. And he knows that you have to go through that river of humility to get to the ocean of blessing that's just waiting for you. And it will be inconvenient. It won't work out into your little plan, but it's God's plan. But I want you to know We've taken care of all the excuses. I have up here what I call my no excuse box. You, you see, we have shorts, dark shorts of every size, I promise you. We have shirts of every size, and this is the, the shirt you'll get. Um, all things new. And then we have brushes and blow dryers, all the stuff I don't need. We have sunscreen, we have makeup, we have everything. And then you get a baptism certificate with your picture before you get your hair wet, ladies. And just to remind you of how you sealed the deal, how you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior through biblical baptism. I'm just telling you, we got everything you need, everything you need, and this is your time, this is your day. Seize the divine moment. Do it God's way. Just trust him. I want us to bow and pray. I don't know, hundreds of you are gonna be baptized and if you're not sure that you've ever received Christ and his free gift of forgiveness, then just do it right now. Just pray this prayer silently to God. Get it settled. Drive a stake in the ground. This is your baptism day. This is the day that you got it settled, that you're gonna receive Christ. Just pray this prayer silently to God. Dear Jesus Christ, I admit I need your forgiveness of all my sins. I ask you for your forgiveness. I ask you to cleanse me, wipe out all my sins. I also ask you to come into my life with your Holy Spirit and change me from the inside out. 
I believe in you, Jesus Christ, as best I know how. I place my faith in you and I accept your free gift of salvation in heaven one day. I could never earn it or deserve it, but I accept it. I stopped trying to be God. Lord, I can't control my tendency to sin in my flesh, so I give up to your care and control, and I thank you that you are God. Be the Lord of my life. Guide me from now on. Help me follow you each step of the way in obedience and trust, living in your refreshing grace. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Christ came into your life, and he'll never leave you. Then you take that step into the river of humility. Obedience brings blessing. Well, now we're at the point of our service where we give. We give back to God, some of what he's given us, and we give because it's part of worship. We give because we want to, because we love Jesus. And we give because we're excited about the ministries and missions of Woodland Church. And I just really challenge you this summer to make it consistent, your giving. And so how do we give during the offering? We just take out our smartphones, so take out your smartphone right now and just text the word GIVEWC to 77977. GIVEWC, just put it together as one word to 77977. Or you can give by going to wc.org give and get it all set up, your giving. You can also mail in your gift. You can give on your way out of one of our campuses. You can give stocks, you can give assets. But this summer, give. You know, people go on vacation in the summer, and that's great. But don't go on vacation in your giving because our ministries are going stronger than ever. We, we have all these camps going and they're making such a difference. We have all these ministries happening to the, for the poor and powerless in our area and around the world. Over 100 ministries and missions now that are counting on Woodland Church. And so I just really challenge you in the summer where most churches, the giving goes down. But at Woodland Church, our ministry goes way up. Ministry doesn't take a vacation, so I just really challenge you. Maybe God's calling you to give a little extra. It's amazing the revival that's going on in our children's and student ministries, exploding with growth, and so maybe God's calling you to give a little extra. Give a little extra. Maybe God's calling you to give some scholarships for the camps. Maybe God's calling you to give a large gift that he's put on your heart because he's blessed you. Do what God calls you to do. Not what I tell you to do, but what God tells you to do. Maybe you want to give over and above your regular tithes and offerings today to say, God, I trust you that you know what's best. And I'm telling you, I know God is speaking to some of your hearts about baptism and taking that step. And when he does, just obey. Just do what he says. That's the way it is in every area of life. You know, God commands us to tithe. And so you don't have to pray about that one. You just do it. But if Sometimes God will whisper to you to give over and above. He does that for Chris and I a lot. Listen to him, obey. That obedience brings blessing. Don't pick and choose. Just do what God calls you to do, what he tells you to do. That's why I love our students. They just don't know any better than to obey God. And that's why Jesus said, come to me like a little child. Childlike faith. And you'll see my blessing. You'll see my provision for you. Well, what we want to do now is everyone who's being baptized and all you guys who didn't know you were being baptized, but now you know, our dressing rooms are right out here. And so all you got to do in a defining moment is take a stand. Take a stand. That's all you got to do. And I'm telling you, God will take you the rest of the way. And so if you're being baptized or 
just decided you're gonna be baptized right now, would you just stand and make your way out to the foyer? Our pastors are gonna be there to greet you and take you to the dressing rooms, get you everything you need. Just take a stand right now, just stand. All you gotta do is stand. He'll take you the rest of the way. It's not a leap of faith, it's a step of faith. It's not too late, stand. Some of you, God's telling you, this is your day. All you gotta do is stand, and he'll take you the rest of the way. Stand in faith, and he will take you the rest of the way, and you will never regret it. You'll never be the same. Some of you are still sitting there, and you know God's speaking to your heart. Just stand up, that's all you gotta do, just stand up and go, okay. I'm going for it. I'm just stand up. He'll take you the rest of the way, and he will never let you down. It's amazing to me how it's one little step of faith. It's not a blind leap of faith because it's all his power and his strength. And some of you, I know God's still speaking to you and it's time. Just stand and just go. Let's cheer again, guys. Let's cheer because I know more want to stand. Just stand up and go. Just stand up and go. Just go on out there. Now let's all stand and it's not too late to go on out there and join them, guys. I hope every one of you will go celebrate with us out there. Next weekend is Father's Day weekend. And there are more phone calls made on Father's Day than any other day of the year. That's not true. That was a lie. It's Mother's Day. Nobody cares about Father's Day. You know that, don't you? Some of you are going, really? I didn't know that. That's, that's odd. Nope. Nope. Nobody cares about Father's Day but me. And so next week we're having a family festival before and after every service with hot dogs and uh, bouncies and games and fun for the kids and it's going to be a powerful Father's Day message. Don't miss it. God bless you, Will and Church. We love you. One step of faith makes a world of difference. God bless you. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.